Blog Talk Radio. is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month, our guest is Dr. Jason Grissom from uh, Vanderbilt University, and Jason is an associate professor of public policy and education at Vanderbilt's Peabody College of Education and Human Development. Uh, welcome, Jason. Jason, you there? Jason, we may be having a little bit of uh, technical difficulty. Jason, if you can hear me. Um, I can hear you. Oh, you can hear me now. Okay, I great. Thank okay. You. So, uh, sorry about that for the technical difficulty, but um Welcome, Jason. We're uh, happy to have you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, So we invited Jason uh, to be part of our conversation today because he has conducted uh, research on teacher and principal evaluation, mobility and decision-making, but he he has done a number of studies uh, about educator diversity and that and investigated about how race and gender um, impact, uh, specifically the workforce, impacts uh, the distribution of resources and outcomes among uh, different groups. And so uh, first, Jason, if you could just tell us a little bit about um, the work that you're doing um, at Vanderbilt and a little bit about uh, some of your, your uh, current research projects. Yeah, so uh, I my work, um, I, I examine lots of areas uh, related to teacher and leader um, outcomes, teacher and leader effectiveness, and also their labor market decisions. And particularly an area of my work um, uh, it looks at the intersection of, of those areas with race and ethnicity and gender. And so um, one of, in, in particular, I'm interested in diversity in the teacher and principal um, workforce, so what the impact of uh, diversity on the teacher workforce means for uh, for kids, uh, particularly the area I've looked at most frequently has been the area of gifted assignment, so how uh, schools make decisions about which kids are designated for gifted services and which kids aren't. And then also at the at the school leader level, uh, you know, what are the impacts of school leader diversity on on teacher diversity? So how does how does school leadership diversity impact um, you know teachers' decisions to to work in a school or to turn over from a school? So it turns out that the those race ethnicity um, uh, relationships are pretty complex. That principals impact teachers, principals impact students um, indirectly, but also uh, the teachers clearly are impacting uh, the kids. Sure, sure. You know, we had uh, some time ago, we had a guest on the show um, that also talked about uh, gifted student assignments, um, and not from this perspective, certainly, but um, we looked at uh, the statistics related to gifted assignments, and I think yours is... uh, goes a step further than kind of descriptive of what actually is, is 
in some cases, and, and as I understand it, some of the causes. So I'd like to start there, actually, uh, to, to understand what you, what you found. I think it's fascinating to hear as an opener that uh, race and ethnicity of, of principals, and in this case, first let's deal with teachers, uh, impacts gifted assignment. There's some who believe wholeheartedly that these are objective criteria that are applied um, in most cases that impact whether children are identified or not. Um, so I'd like to hear you know, what, what your findings are. I'm sure our audience would love to know. So what are, what are you seeing that actually impacts um, decisions of who gets in gifted education and who does not? Sure. So, so where you really have to start is that, you know, about five to six percent of kids nationally are identified as gifted. Okay, so they're receiving some kind of gifted services um, in uh, in their public schools, and uh, but there are really big disparities by race and ethnicity in how in which kids are identified. So, um, the the whereas you know approximately five and a half percent of white kids are identified um, as gifted in elementary school, only about a little more than 2% of African-American students and only about 3.5% of Hispanic students um, are identified as gifted in the elementary years. And so uh, one of the, the things we're really interested in is, well, what explains those, uh, those, those gaps? So, you know, one thing that we know is that kids enter uh, kindergarten with pretty large achievement gaps already present uh, by race and ethnicity. And so, you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, yes, there are differences in gifted identification, but those differences just reflect achievement differences in the uh -huh. underlying populations. And so, uh -huh. so the, the first thing that we wanted to do was investigate that. And so uh, we could do that. We have, um, we were using nationally representative longitudinal data that was tracking kids um, from kindergarten through fifth grade. And we were looking at uh, the, 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 uh, years in which kids uh, we're, we're sort of looking at how at at, uh, at kids' assignment to gifted services over that time span, and what we saw is that uh, one really nice feature of that particular survey is that um, it tests kids in each of the survey waves, so we know what their math and reading achievement is um, on a on a nationally normed uh, um, achievement test. And so the first thing that we could do is we could control statistically for test scores in math and reading. In other words, we could equate the kids on their achievement levels and say, okay, so let's take um, a black student and a white student, for example, who have the exact same math and reading achievement. Um, what would now be their probability of being assigned um, to, uh, to gifted services. And it turned out that the white students still had a much, much higher probability of being assigned, about, uh, about t twice as likely um, as, a, as, an, as an identical, you know, uh, as a, stu a black student with identical achievement to be assigned to giftedness. And so, you know, so then we tried to dig deeper into the data uh, to try to understand, well, well, what's really driving these differences? If it is an achievement, then, then, then what's really, uh, what really are the mechanisms here? And one of the things that we uncovered is that there were differences in uh, the probability that similarly achieving black and white students were assigned to gifted services by the race or ethnicity of their classroom teacher in the elementary years. Um, and in particular, um, the uh, probability that two students, um, a white and a black student who are otherwise similar, um, were assigned to gifted services if they were taught by a black classroom teacher was about the same. 
Um, mm -hmm. But if those two students were taught by a white teacher, their probabilities were quite a bit different. And in, in white teachers' classrooms, white students uh, with similar achievement were, were much more likely than black students to be assigned to, to gifted services. Um, and so in a follow-up study, we tried to understand, well, what's the mechanism that's driving that? And, and um, consistent with some prior research on in this area, um, the, the, uh, you know, we couldn't test all possible mechanisms, but one contributing factor seems to be that, the, that um, teachers express different expectations of kids by race and ethnicity. So kids, uh, for example, teachers are more likely um, to, to give positive um, ratings of things like approaches to learning or engagement with, um, with academic material to students or, who are from their same uh, racial and ethnic background. Fascinating. And so do you, did you explore at all um, the, any of the backgrounds where if, for example, you found uh, teachers, and in this case we're talking about, so if you found white teachers who were more closely aligned with the assessments of their African-American teacher counterparts with regard to um, uh, gifted assignment. Um, did you look to see what any of the practices are? Do you have any um, uh, ideas about what, what generally the practices are uh, of those? Um, and the reason I'm asking is because of what it sounds like is kind of a very natural selection bias um, for, for an affinity for things that appear to be similar, right? So, um, in, in the case of, you know, similar racial makeup, ethnic makeup, that those would be preferred. Um, but are you, seeing, are you seeing any patterns of practice that might be shared uh, that would be helpful? Well, I think really what you're getting at is there's a, there's a problem with how we do gifted identification in the United States. So mm -hmm. in, in most places, the, the way a kid is assigned uh, uh, to gifted services is that the, the first step of that process is that you're going to have a referral by the classroom teacher. Um, you could also be referred by someone else in the building or you could be, you could be referred for testing by your parent. But the most common, by far the most common uh, first step is that you're referred to testing by the teacher. And so then you go through a process of being tested and evaluated, and then you're placed into services. And so uh, you asked me a few minutes ago, you know, a lot of people think that there are objective criteria here. And, um, you know, the criteria may get, may get closer to objective at that second stage where we're actually doing the testing and evaluation. But I, the, the big problem um, that I think our study um, points to is really a problem at the first stage. It's a problem with the referral stage. So it's not, what we're finding is not necessarily reflecting a difference in the test, that, that uh, the biases in the test, although that's also possible. What it's really mm -hmm. reflecting is biases in who gets to take the test. So there's, there's uh -huh. big numbers of kids who are not getting to ever get to the stage that they're evaluated for giftedness because their classroom teacher doesn't necessarily recognize the, the potential for giftedness in that student. And so when, then when you, when you get to practices that, uh, that might address that, well, um, I think there are a handful, but one of the ones that some school districts have had a lot of success with is, you know, if the problem is with discretion in referral to testing, then the, the clear solution is to take discretion away. So rather than rely on teachers to identify the potential for giftedness among kids in their classroom, just test all the kids. So that's called universal screening. So you just give all of the kids the, 
the uh, a, a version of a kind of screening instrument that um, can help identify at least the potential for giftedness and then you use that screener um, to refer them to, to full evaluation rather than just rely on the referral of the classroom teacher. And school districts that have experimented with universal screening have found big, big reductions in the gaps um, between uh, white students on the one hand uh, and black and Hispanic students on the other hand in their likelihood of being identified for giftedness. Mm, interesting. And how does that play out uh, uh, with the gender question? Well, gender is a lot harder to evaluate in this context because uh, most uh, most gifted referral happens in elementary school, and the overwhelming majority of elementary school teachers are women. And so uh, from a kind of statistical point of view, it's very difficult to differentiate um, whether or not there's, say, a, a, a teacher gender congruence impact on gifted assignment. Because I, there's, there's very little variation uh, there in the elementary years. Mm -hmm. I see. Makes sense. Uh, to our listeners that just joined us, we have uh, uh, Dr. Jason Grissom, who is a professor at Vanderbilt um, School of Education and Human Development, and we're talking about um, teacher-principal congruence and factors, first about factors that impact um, assignment to gifted education. I'm going to shift a little bit, and one of the other areas that um, you mentioned at the beginning of the show was that also the the race and ethnicity of uh, of a principal influences who works in the school. What are you seeing in that area? Yeah, so um, one of the studies that I did a few years ago was um, examining how race, racial, and ethnic relationships between uh, teachers and principals impacted the um, teachers' self-reports of job satisfaction and also their um, likelihood of remaining in a school versus versus turning over. Um, and the results there were sort of similar in spirit to the results of what we found more recently for, uh, you know, in the giftedness work that I was just talking about, um, that um, teachers who race match with their principal um, systematically express higher job satisfaction relative uh, not only to teachers in general, but to other teachers in their schools. So um, we, uh, the, the, the study that this comes from is a, a study of, uh, again, nationally representative data on teachers and principals that's collected by uh, the National Center for Education Statistics. And what we, were, what we did in that study is we um, we basically, uh, each one, of, um, the way the data are collected, they sample many teachers within a, uh, within a given school. And so we looked um, at schools that had, you know, a, um, a black principal versus a white principal, for example, and we looked at how teachers responded differently to survey items um, within those schools on the basis of teacher race and ethnicity. Um, and then we also, another nice feature of that particular survey is that it follows up with all of the survey respondents the year after the survey to see if they still worked in that building. So that's how we were able to look at turnover. And so what we found is that relative to teachers, other teachers in the same building who say don't um, match race or ethnicity with the, with the school's principal, teachers who do um, match, with, match on the basis of race and ethnicity um, express um, a little bit higher job satisfaction on average, and they're quite a bit more likely uh, to remain in that school one year after the survey, uh, after the survey was done. 
Uh, and that's, that seemed to reflect some differences um, based on other um, items from the surveys that seemed, those relationships seemed to re uh, reflect some differences in teachers' perceptions um, of, of how they were treated, what their relationship was like with their principal, and also their perceptions a little bit of, of, of how resources were distributed among mm -hmm. teachers in, in that school. Mm -hmm. And when you say resources, what are you referring to? Well, so we, we, we looked at a couple of different kinds of things that you might label resources. So you could think of, of, of what are like um, softer resources like job autonomy. So, so teachers reported that they felt more autonomy to make decisions in their classrooms um, when they were race congruent with their principal. But we also looked at, um, at teacher pay. So this was a really interesting kind of result because uh, in, in, in most school districts, teachers are paid on the basis of a uniform salary schedule, and so their, their base salary is just a function of their, uh, of their years of experience and their amount of education. And so you might say, well, then how could pay be a function of, of, uh, of race congruence? And uh, the answer is, what we found is that, um, particularly in high schools, that uh, the teachers, were, uh, teachers reported... Um, um, higher levels of, of what you might think of as extra duty pay, um, pay that they received for doing something outside of their regular teaching duties like coaching a sport or, or um, you know, supervising after-school activities. Um, when they race matched with their principals, they, they seemed to be, they, they, were, they had higher levels of, of that income. It wasn't huge. It was about, um, about $450 um, per year. But $450 is about 1% of the average teacher's salary. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not a trivial amount. And that seemed to be that those teachers were just more likely to have access to the kinds of jobs that paid that extra, uh, that extra, uh, extra little, little bit of salary. Um, and so, so uh, th that is just to suggest that there may be some um, ways in which uh, race congruence between teachers and principals might impact the distribution of more tangible resources within the school as well. Sure. I know that um, most of this has been announced as a survey data. Uh, do you have plans uh, or have you already followed up with some ethnographic data uh, or ethnographic uh, investigation uh, to determine some of the whys and even how some of this happens? Uh, particularly, I think, interesting to hear about job satisfaction. What are those elements of, of the job that make them less um, satisfied when it relates to uh, someone of a different racial ethnic, uh, ethnic background? Um, are there factors that appear to be in terms of areas both of decision making or communication style and you know number of areas that be, could be considered is there one or another that seems to drive the satisfaction um, uh, question so do you do you have or do you have plans to do that so that's that's a really good question so um, so I have not done that work but uh, that work definitely should be done I mean I think we're just starting. Uh, you know my work, and there's a couple of other people who are working on similar questions, who are trying to, who are uh, examining patterns and things like hiring and and retention and satisfaction um, in both survey and in state administrative data sets, and finding these kinds of consistent patterns. But we don't have a good sense 
of the why, what the mechanisms are, what's really driving those patterns. Um, and I think that, that that is work that people will, will be doing, but it's a, it's a wide open area right now. I think it's something that we don't, uh, we don't really have a clear sense of the mechanisms. Sure, because I think, you know, in both cases, it's important, you know, I, and I, I think just jumping back for a moment to the question of gifted education, um, that, that to really kind of understand how student assignment occurs, you know, that there is some kind of bias, but can that bias, is there training that's needed or is it just inherent bias? I know you mentioned that taking the, uh, the responsibility out of the hands of uh, the individual teachers makes a difference. I used to be on a school board uh, some years ago, and we did an, a, a, a real hard look at our gifted education program and found what you just mentioned um, be true, and that in a district that was primarily um, the majority of students were African-American at the time, um, found that uh, uh, fewer than 4% of the students were identified as, uh, that were African-American were identified as gifted and talented, where um, whites at the time made up um, more in, as a population. So saying 4% of the African-Americans in gifted education not overall, but at 4% in gifted education, and the remaining something like, you know, 80, 80 plus, um, 80, I think it was 89% was um, white in this district. And so what we did in this district was decided to do, um, in some cases, enrichment programs throughout for all students using the funds to do that. But in places where we did have uh, gifted education programs that everyone was tested. There was no nominating process, but uh, as you said, kind of taking it out of the hands that everyone gets tested and then we figure out what our need is and how we differentiate um, the instructional program. Um, so those are, you know, there are a few solutions on that end, but I, I, I'm particularly interested also in, in thinking about when you have um, individuals, and in this case we're talking about adults, and so it sounds like what some of your results have suggested that the hiring, the, and as you mentioned, resources that get distributed to teachers to actually do their job, um, which may also impact uh, job satisfaction, are all kind of ethnicity, racially based, or influenced in some way, um, is that to get to the answer, I guess we really need to understand um, the, you know, kind of the mechanism uh, by which those decisions get made. And if it is, if there's some, uh, again, inherent bias that occurs, that is not something that we can teach or kind of through a culture of change, uh, get out of, get out of the system. I think it's a, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, uh, kind of human dimension to this that is, it's hard to explain, but even harder to, uh, correct and change. Um, so we, we only have a few re remaining minutes. I'd like to hear, um, a little more if you can 
about your the, some of the other work um, that you've done. Um, I know that you've had some of the work that you've done about um, the te- the principal race congruence um, has has been uh, received awards for your scholarship in social equity and public policy. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about how how often do you um, do do you speak in front of groups like uh, a number of our listeners or school board members and policymakers that are actually seeking to to change some of this? Um, you know, it's great. A lot of times, uh, a lot of the research that we do at the or at the university and the academy. Um, it, it it gets stuck sometimes among our colleagues and doesn't trickle its way out to the schools and in the places where people are making decisions. How are, how are people getting this information from you uh, to actually be used in schools? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, because I think one of the themes that you were just pointing out that's running through both the the gifted work and the teacher satisfaction work. I mean, the the kind of first step here, I think, to to addressing the fact that uh, you know there seem to be these um, these congruence influences on these outcomes is that people don't recognize that they're there, right? We're not conscious of them. It largely, probably largely works through people's implicit biases and how they deal with one another, either how teachers view kids or interact with kids or how principals view and interact with their teachers or teachers interact with their principals. And so the, the, the first step is really um, getting, getting uh, people on the ground and policymakers to recognize that these relationships really matter. Um, and so, you know, I think there are a lot of us in the research community who, um, who really are, are, are trying to, to write products that are accessible, you know, to, to, um, that are accessible and are widely disseminated uh, to, so that that recognition happens. Um, but I think we don't do um, as good of a job as we need to in trying to be out in the, the practice and policy communities and trying to explain um, what the results mean, what their implications are, and, and how they um, you know how they really can matter for how we think about what happens inside inside schools and inside classrooms, um, mm-hmm. and so um, you know I I think uh, I and a, and a lot of my colleagues um, are doing that kind of work um, and certainly are, are uh, can make ourselves available to do that kind of work. But there there are real challenges I think in in trying to get academic research in the in the hands of of people that can actually utilize it to make decisions and change practice. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule, especially this time of year, to come on and um, and share this uh, important work, which is why I invited you, because I think uh, this is something that needs to be heard. Our audience is one of primarily practitioners and people who are in a position to at least go back now and say, we need to talk about this, we need to consider um, this uh, as a part, as we make decisions and as we uh, create uh, uh, policies in our school districts. Um, so um, also want to thank our uh, listeners for joining us again for uh, another show. I uh, want to ask you to join us again next month on July 13th, where we will have our annual wrap-up and viewpoint uh, for me about uh, really the year in review and education and um, 
specifically about leadership issues and and uh, things that have come up over the course of our shows this year. Uh, that wrap-up will be on July 13th at 2 p.m. Um, and so, Jason, um, we want to encourage you to uh, do to continue your great work um, and to the audience. We'll see you again next month on uh, July 13th. Until then, go well, stay well. <laughs>